0: Well, I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the first letter of Timothy in the New Testament, and we're going to go to chapter 2. We're going to read the entire chapter, although i will only be uh, preaching on the first half uh, today. So next time we'll be going to the second half of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. As we read through that, uh, the second half or so, you'll uh, see that there are things there. You'll say, hmm, how do we, how do we understand this? And... And, and what is the message here? And how do, we, how do we interpret God's Word in this particular chapter? Indeed, it's a beautiful chapter, and there's so much here also with respect to uh, uh, the relationships between uh, men and women, and also uh, our roles in the church and so forth as well. But we're really going to focus on that section of it uh, in a couple weeks' time. So this time, we're really going to focus on the first part of 1 Timothy chapter 2. So in your Bibles, this is towards the end of the Bibles, the uh, letters uh, which are given to the uh these called the pastoral epistles and these are this is the letter of paul to to timothy let's read from 1 timothy chapter 2 starting at verse 1 first of all then i urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm not, I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, Father, reading from God's Word, uh, I will read the first part of that again just before the preaching. But first, let's uh, sing together from our book of praise, from Psalm 102, Psalm 102, stanzas 7 and 8. i'd like to read again from uh, 1 timothy chapter 2 verse 1 through to 8 just so that we can be more familiar with this before i preach it first of all then i urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good it is pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Well, oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a lot of things in the world to be praying for right now. If you just think back of this past week and uh, the things which came out in the news, the things which have happened in the world. Uh, I think, for example, the shocking news of the, the assassination of uh, the previous Prime Minister from, of Japan, something which uh, certainly shocked the world, and, and understandably so. I think of the economic collapse in Sri Lanka, uh, now the, the storming of the, the presidential palace and uh, really a country which is on is the brink of, of turning into, into, into anarchy. Uh, we can think also of the ongoing war in Ukraine, uh, which in some ways uh, the rest of the world is, is, is still remembering, but in some ways it's just become something which we've just become accustomed to. Sadly, many of the people in their own nation have become accustomed to. Uh, we can think also of the tension uh, between between russia between china and and, and the rest western world, uh, something which is so very often uh, in the news as well. Uh, we can think more closely to home the the floods which have been going on in New South Wales yet again uh, in the Australian they also had some uh, some news articles also the the sad and the the frightening anarchy in in the indigenous community of, of, uh, of Air in, in the Northern Territory, and, and we know of, of, of so much tension and, and trouble that we have amongst various communities within our own nation. Uh, there's ongoing gun violence in, in all over the world, and certainly in the United States of America as well. Uh, then we can be worried, and sometimes we are also, about, uh, about the state of the economy uh, here in Australia, but also in the rest of the world and, and the... The, the, the sharp rise in, in inflation, uh, the, the, the increase in, 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 our, in our interest rates as well and how much we need to pay off with respect of our loans. And then, of course, there's also the, the godlessness, the, the increase of godlessness also within our own nation and uh, the, the incessant march of, of these, these so-called woke and, and other unbiblical ideologies and, and a threat that this sometimes also places upon us as Christians and upon the church. and I could go on but but as we see there's there's so many things happening and so many things that we're being bombarded with every day again and so much to keep our minds busy and we can and we should not only think about these things when we're watching the news and when we're in, when we're reading the news online or in the newspaper it shouldn't just be something which we, we, we talk about over coffee or when we, when we meet up with people and we, we get upset about things which happen in the world. But these are things which we ought to be bringing before God in prayer. But how do we pray about them? And another question I would have is, why do we pray about them? We read together from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there's this verse in there, verse 2, which uh, is one which for myself has been very well known. And that is that we are to pray for, uh, for, th- for people, and it speaks also that we may pray for, uh, for kings and those in high positions. And it says this, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Uh, this is a Bible verse which uh, for some of us, certainly for myself, has been a very well-known one for many years. Uh, It's also quoted in one of our confessions, in the Belgian Confession, Article 36, like that, uh, when it speaks about the the civil government. But we need to be careful that we don't just hear certain words like this and we just think about them in isolation of the, the context in which they're written. Because when we read this, we can say, well... Uh, yes, we need to be praying about all these things, and we need to be praying about our government and all these things as well. Why? So that we can have a peaceful and quiet life. In other words, so everything's going to be okay with us, so that we can have a life of, of health, of wealth, of prosperity, and we can just really just be at peace within our homes and within our church communities, cocooned from all of the, the, the mess and the trouble and the things which are going on in the world. And sometimes I get the feeling that that that's the way we pray, or that's the way we feel. That it's, a, it's, it's, it's a scary world out there. But So long as it's okay for us, that's all right. Now it's true and it's clear that when Paul is preaching here, and when he's, reading, he's, he's writing this, sorry, to Timothy, and he's calling him also and he's praying about that we may lead a peace and a quiet life, God, and dignified in every way, that he is praying for the peace of the church. He's praying for the, the well-being of. Of Christians but is not praying for the peace and the well-being of the church and of Christians so that we can have this this very cocooned quiet restful sort of existence in the rest of a world which is just going to hell but we need to read this in the context in which it is now last week I was preaching from 1st Timothy chapter 1 and in 1st Timothy chapter 1 uh, we read here about the gospel about what it means to truly Know Christ as our Lord and of our Savior. To know what it means for ourselves to be the chief of sinners who needs to be forgiven of that sin and indeed have a new life in Jesus. And what I want you to understand also is now that we're going to to chapter 2, it's not like when Paul wrote his letter that he said, I've written chapter 1 and now I'm going to go to chapter 2. All these numbers and these chapters, these are simply things which have been placed later into these letters to help us in our our reading and, and breaking them up. For the Apostle Paul, this was just one letter. There wasn't this big gap between chapter two and chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so what we need to understand then is that when he begins here in chapter 2 about, uh, I urge first of all then that prayers and intercessions are to be made, he's not in this way um, going into a totally new thing. But it's within the context of what we've already heard about in chapter 1. And indeed, it's also in the context of what we're going to hear about in chapter 2 as well this is really important because as we begin to understand this and we learn to understand this we realize that he's definitely and certainly not saying that we need to be praying so that we can just be isolated and insulated from all those things which are happening out there but we're to be praying for the world and we're to be praying for our governments and we're to be praying for others because the overriding urgent desire Of Paul and of us is that the world might be saved and this is indeed also what we learn from one Timothy chapter 2 itself because it's not just verse 2 that we may lead a peaceful quiet life But verse 3 goes on this is good and it is pleasing the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth so this is really What I'd like us to focus on, because I'm convinced also this is what God would have us focus on when we come to this portion of God's Word. So the message uh, for this morning is this. Pray that all people might be saved and know the truth. Pray that all people might be saved and know the truth. I have two questions we're going to go through. First of all, who should we pray for? And then second, what should we pray for? First of all then, who should we pray for? Now, there's always a lot of things going on in the world. There's a lot of things going on in our lives. There's a lot of things going on in our churches as well. And because we have all these different things which are happening, because we are so so busy with so many different aspects of, of living our lives, sometimes we can forget what the main thing is all about. Sometimes we forget also what the main calling of God's church is all about a little surprising in some ways because the Bible is clear on it. But this is something we need to keep on going back to. And when it comes to New Testament church, what the Bible is teaching us is that we have received a commission from our Lord Jesus Christ himself. A commission that we can never forget and a commission that can never be sort of just pushed over to the side. And that commission is to see to it that this gospel, that that I've been preaching about over the last number of weeks that this gospel isn't just for us, but that this gospel might be for the world. A few examples of that. When our Lord Jesus Christ was about to ascend to the heaven, he said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19: He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16:15, going into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Actually, you find that same uh, command in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and John, in Acts. But even more to the point, you can find this command and this call as a theme which runs throughout the entire Bible from the Old Testament onwards. In fact, we sing a lot of psalms in church. Many of these psalms which were written in Old Testament Israel were written in a way in which it was a call, not just simply for the people of Israel to worship God and to praise Him, but for the entire world. Because this is what we we urgently seek, that the whole of creation might give praise to God and might rejoice in Him. But the church, and you and I, can sometimes lose sight of that. We can sometimes lose that sense of vision, sense of urgency for the gospel, and a loss of concern for the lost. And sadly, it's not just us, but we can see this happen again and again throughout church history. This is also the situation for that church in Ephesus, where this. And Timothy was the preacher and the pastor. It was also the situation there as well. When, when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Timothy was in the church of Ephesus at the command of Paul. And he was there to teach them and to preach to them the pure gospel. Because what had happened, this is what we already learned a little bit about in chapter 1. What had happened in, in, in Ephesus is that there are other people going around and they were clouding over the the pure gospel, the true gospel message and teaching with other stuff. Some of it, not wrong, and other parts of it, very, very wrong. And so what we learned in chapter 1 already is that people were making the shipwreck of the faith by listening and making up stories and, and endless genealogies and so forth. And So one of the things they did is they went to the Old Testament and they went through some of those big long lists of names and of genealogies and they began to, to, to fabricate different stories about different people in there and they became very excited about these sorts of things and how, how my family might be connected to that and so forth. And then they went on and they, they looked at all the different laws and they made different rules and regulations and so forth. Um, and so chasing bloodlines and, and, and tracing, sorry, bloodlines, and going through genealogies, um, having these big discussions about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and so forth, what ended up happening is that the gospel message was clouded over to the point that people didn't understand what the gospel was about anymore. And in the process of this, and this is really what was happening in, in the church of Ephesus, in the process of this, not only because they no longer understood what the gospel was all about, but also because they no longer understood who the gospel was for, that whole sense of calling others to repentance and to faith in Jesus Christ became a bit of a secondary, almost a non-issue. And that kind of makes sense if you think about it, because if you start to go through genealogies and you try to link your pedigree and so on, because... I come from this line because these are my ancestors. That's why somehow I am one of the chosen ones. Who cares about the rest of the world anymore? Because I'm all right. And this is what was happening. But understand that the gospel is indeed for the world. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ emphasized so strongly when he was about to ascend into heaven. This message isn't just for an elite group just for a few people, but it is indeed for all. And so this is also what the Apostle Paul was instructing last week when we, we heard about the Apostle Paul saying he was a chief of sinners. I, I referred to Acts chapter 9, to the time in which he was, he was converted on that road to Damascus. And in, in Acts chapter 9, uh, the Lord had said to Ananias, uh, who was in Damascus, another man, that he, he said to him, this Paul, he said, and i quote, he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the gentiles and kings and the children of israel in other words paul's task wasn't just to just to hold on to that gospel for himself and and believe and and and, and being in a little cocoon so he could safely end up getting to heaven eventually his task was to go out into that wide world and to preach yes he was to preach to jews but he was also to preach to gentiles he was to preach to slaves, and he was also to preach to kings. He was to be concerned about the salvation of everyone. He was to see to it that all would hear the gospel with the desire and with the prayer that they might come to a knowledge of the truth. And this is also why Paul himself emphasized that in chapter 2, verse 7. He says, for this, for this. I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That's verse 7. And now when he writes to Timothy, he wants Timothy and indeed the entire church of Ephesus and then also us who are reading this letter to have that same concern as he had and as he was called to The concern that we would not only worry about ourselves, that we would not only be worried about our inner circles, that we would not only be worried about our own personal families, that we won't only just be worried about who's coming here to Melville Church today, but that we'll be living in such a way that, and we we'll be praying in such a way, that we will be concerned for the entire world see, and this is important for us to understand because it has nothing to do with our vision and it has nothing to do with our understanding of who we are and what we are here to do in this world. What we're here for. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is commanding Timothy in this letter. Let me go back then to verse 1 of chapter 2. <clears throat> it's what he writes here, excuse me. <coughs> First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So what Paul is saying here is, he's saying, I want you, Timothy, and I want the Church of Ephesus, I don't want you just to pray for yourself and for the people closest to you. I don't want you just to be concerned about them But I want you to have a love and concern that spills over your own community. That spills over uh, your own city. That spills over those things with which you are personally connected with. That your love and concern might go out to the entire world. And so I want you to pray for Jews. I want you to pray for Gentiles, for heathens, for, for those who don't know God at all. I want you to pray for the rich, and I want you to pray for those who are poor, and I want you to pray for those who are black or white or whatever, and I want you to pray for all people. Don't limit your concern, but pray for all people everywhere. Not only that, he says, I want you to see to her that these prayers are to be the highest priority of all. First of all, then, he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So what that means here is that praying is not just something for us to do as an, as an incidental. But praying is to be central to our lives and to our worship. And notice also then how he heaps up different words which really say the same thing. Uh, But there's just different aspects to what praying is all about. First of all, the word supplications. A supplication is a request. You're you're asking things from God. Uh, When we have those supplications, it means that we're going to be specific. We're going to be praying specific things about specific people. Then he goes on about prayers. That's just a more general term. Uh, And and that word also reminds us of, of how we are to come to God. Because indeed, we are approaching the holy throne of God. This is not just sort of casual chat to a neighbor. But this is a praying to Almighty God Himself. And we're going to call on Him. We're going to praise Him. We're going to thank Him. We're going to plead to Him. Another word here is intercessions. The supplications and intercessions are very similar. Uh, we, we're going to submit our requests about others. And this is the intercession we're praying for others. And then finally also, and thanksgiving, giving thanks for all that God has given, and especially for the gift of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our mediator, who gave Himself a ransom for all, and through whom all men are saved. And so what he does here, with, what Paul is writing here is, is that, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, thanksgivings be made for all people. And so he's given these different words, but don't have the idea then that these are so very, very different. These are just different ways to describe what prayer is all about. And what he are called to do then is to fervently and earnestly call upon the Lord and in our calling upon him to pray, he says, for all people. So the first thing I want us to really reflect on is how is that in your life and in mine and, and in, the, in the context of Melville Church? Praying one of those things where, on one hand, it's a very simple thing. Typically, we'll fold our hands and close our eyes, although we'll see in verse 8, that doesn't have to be that way. And we can go and pray to God. We have certain prayers, like the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus himself said, this is how you ought to pray. We know, and our Lord Jesus Christ also said, you don't need to have some fancy degree, or it's not for you to heap up empty words and special phrases but just come and speak to Him. And so, really, we would think that praying is the simplest thing on all. But you and I know that, that in practice, praying and to have a life of prayer and to, to be devoted to prayer and to be uh, meaningful in our prayer is something which, which is a challenge to us. Not always and not in every time, but very often in in times in our lives, this can become more of a challenge. We don't need to worry about that. We need to question that also is how come? Because when you go through the Scriptures, you'll see there are times in the Scriptures in which prayer was something which, which was really a clear characteristic of God's people. And the example which I'd like to give you here is the day of Pentecost and immediately the church immediately after that. What we learn there from, from Acts chapter two and, and, and beyond that as well, is that the church was devoted to earnestly coming together for prayer. And then, when we have the apostles, such as the apostle uh, such as Paul, but also others as well, we have it's very clear that they have times in which they regularly set aside to pray. I think of Acts chapter ten, for example, with the apostle Paul. I'm quite sure on that one as well. I uh, think also of the letters that Paul wrote. Very often he begins his letters by saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, making mention of you in my prayers. And so as we read through this, we get the understanding that, that the Apostle Paul, for example, that he would have spent many hours of his life before God in prayer. This was not just something which he did. says, oh, let's have a, a short prayer so that we can get on with the, the business meeting of our church. But this time of prayer was indeed something which was a a major part of his life. Yes, he had many people to see and to speak to all the time. But he took the time to pray. And by the way, it wasn't just Paul. This is also the situation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are so busy, we think. In some ways, we are. We're so distracted, we think, with so many things, and in some ways we are. But those distractions, that busyness, should never take us away from that need for prayer. Think of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three years of ministry. Three years of of, of walking through the land of Israel. Three years of, of teaching and instructing His 12 disciples. That's all. I've been here for more than three years. But he still had the time to go to a mountain or to a quiet place on his own and pray, sometimes for hours on end. The reason why I'm bringing this up, and this is challenging myself at least as much as it's challenging you, It's because also in this past week, as I've been reflecting on this and also for my own life, I've been thinking, why is it sometimes that it is more difficult to pray? And yes, there is the tiredness and brain fog or whatever it is that we may be experiencing. But ultimately, is it also that we have lost sight of what really is to motivate our prayers in the first place? Because when you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, And we have the command that the urging to pray. What we have here is the command that we might pray that all might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The command to pray, therefore, is firmly connected and entwined with that missionary command that the church has received. And yes, that each one of us have received, that we might have that desire that all men might come to knowledge of the truth and that they might be saved. And this then is also how we should be praying, uh, not just uh, for, for ourselves or for our neighbors, but this is also how we should be praying with respect to our governments. Oh, indeed, there are many reasons why we pray. And there are many reasons why we pray for our elected officials as well. And we can and we should be praying also with respect to the various concerns which we have. We do pray that we might live a peaceful life and a quiet life, godly and respectable in every way. But we're praying for all these things for a reason. And this is what, what 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 is teaching us. And we're praying this for a reason. And the reason that we're praying this for is so that we might indeed recognize that the need that all people might come to know the truth with a desire that all might also come to a saving knowledge of that truth. And so this is also then how we are to see that those. those Verse 2, where it says here, First of all, I urge that supplications and prayers and thanksgiving may be made for all people. And then verse 2, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're to pray for kings and those in higher positions. Uh, Romans chapter 13, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, because there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So what this is teaching us is that Christians are not above the law. Uh, Christians uh, are not to ignore the law and, and, and of the land also and the government. We are to pray for those who are in government. We are to pray for good governments or what we consider good. But also for those governments that we consider not good. We're to pray if if we consider our, our leaders to be Christian, but also when they're leading the country in a wrong way, and in an ungodly way, as we so often experience. And remember also, when the Apostle Paul himself was writing this, what sort of a government was there in his time? He's praying for a government that had, before this, had him flogged, whipped, and imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Paul had the Roman Empire in mind, in which, particularly among the rulers, there was wickedness, there was debauchery, there was was rampant homosexuality, there was pedophilia, and all those sins that chapter 1 of One Sympathies was speaking about. It was all there. And it was being condoned by the government and those in high positions. Uh, Paul was exhorting for prayers to be made for the emperors. And soon there would be an emperor whose name would be Nero, who'd be fiddling away... So the story goes, while Rome burned, and then he turned around and blamed the Christians for it. Uh, Nero then also, who would kill many Christians in such appalling ways. But Paul says, pray for it. Pray for those who govern you. Why? Well, pray also so that they might repent and they might believe the gospel. But pray also in such a way That through their governing, and through your life, and through all that may go on in world history, that gospel message might continue to be preached and proclaimed. That brings me then to my second question here. What should we pray for? 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, the the Bible simply states that prayers are to be made. Verse 8, however, tells us who are to make these prayers in the church of God. And it's something we'll we'll take note of even before we go to the second part of chapter 2, which will be happening in, in a few weeks' time. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Uh, This word here, men, is in distinction to women. Uh, It doesn't mean that women shouldn't be praying. The Bible itself teaches us that women must be praying. And the Bible also records the prayers of various women. I think, for example, of Hannah in the Old Testament. I think of Mary in the New Testament. What this does mean, however, that is, in the Church of God, men and women have different roles to play And it is indeed the man as a spiritual leader who should be leading, really, overall, that the church and families also in prayer. And the reason why I raise this already now, even though we'll be focusing more on this next time, is because it is so important that we as men take this seriously. So often when we come to these sorts of passages. We would like to speak about feminism and about women who are doing this or that but this is a message to you men this is a message to you first of all in your homes it's a message to us also in melville church because what god is teaching us and what we're going to learn also in the rest of this chapter is that we as men are called upon to be those spiritual leaders in our homes and in our church. And it's also in this context then that we are called to pray and to lead our families and yes, to lead our church in a God-fearing way. The other thing from verse 8 to note is how we should pray. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. The Bible makes it very clear. There are different ways that we're to be praying. And amongst different Christians and different times of church history or so. And also now there are different ways. And a very typical way, previously, very nowadays, we'll often fold our hands and close our eyes. Actually, the Bible never commands us to pray this way. There's reasons why we choose to. And particularly nowadays, when we have our, our phones and our tablets and so forth so close to us, and we have so many distractions which are just flashing up out of us, sometimes even in church. It's important for us indeed to have that opportunity to, to block out the world. And this is also why we, why we would, in that sense, fold our hands and close our eyes. But throughout the history of the church and the history of God's people, to stand with your hands in the air raised to heaven was indeed a very common way and a posture for prayer but what is really at focus here is is our piety our call to holiness and also then also what is focused on here is not so much the lifting of our hands but to do so without anger or quarreling and so what this is also teaching us is that that those of us that, as men that when we are praying that we are seek to, to, to pray that we might be godly in all things. And certainly here in church also. To be blameless, to be holy, to be reverent. We're going to get back to this again in chapter 3 when it talks about the, uh, the expectations of those who are office bearers in the church. But already now we're taught about the holiness which is required of us when we come before God in prayer. And when we do so, we'll see that this will also affect our prayers. Because as we do these things, we'll no longer be praying with a view to ourselves and our own comforts, but we'll pray for others in a way that is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Because the purpose of our prayers is not for us. Not even that we might live a quiet and peaceful life. Not that we might be indulgent and self-fulfilling life, that is. But the purpose of our lives for all men and also for kings and those in authority is that the gospel might be preached, that men might come to a knowledge of the truth, and that people might be saved. You see, this, is, this needs to be our focus. This needs to show how we are to live and, and how we are to pray. Yeah, we pray for kings and we pray for those in authority. We pray that we may live a quiet and a peaceable life. But we're doing so, so that God's word might be proclaimed and preached Not just here, but to the world. Now, I said at the beginning of the sermon that 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 verse about living a quiet and peaceful life, that this is sometimes misunderstood. In some ways, I've also misunderstood this as well. I mentioned also that this article, this is, I think I mentioned anyway, this is also quoted in Article 36 of a Belgian Confession. But the Belgian Confession also does say a bit more. I'd just like to quote from that with respect to the government. It says... Their task of restraining, sustaining is not limited to the public order, but includes the protection of the church and its ministry in order that the kingdom of Christ may come, the word of the gospel may be preached everywhere, and that God may be honored and served by everyone as he requires in his word. And that's really what we're praying for and what we should be praying for. That the gospel may be preached everywhere, that God might be honored and served by everyone as he requires in his word. This is why we're praying for our governments. This is why we're praying for our kings. This is how we are to be praying. So yes, there are so many things going on in the world. And even in this past week, you know, an assassination of an ex-prime minister. Um, the floods going on in New South Wales. Uh, terrible things going on in, in some of our indigenous communities. These are really very real things. And we are to pray for these things and for the peace in Ukraine and for all those things. And we should. And we, we are eager to see uh, God's, God's mercy upon a sinful world in these circumstances. But we're doing so with the desire that because and through the peace and even the prosperity we may receive, the gospel might be preached and it might be believed upon. This is why it says in verse 3 and 4, This is good and is pleasing the sight of God our Saviour who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And when it speaks here of all people and so forth coming to knowledge of the truth, the way we are to understand this in the context of First Timothy, that this is indeed of all kinds of people. We know that in God's sovereignty, not every person in this world will come to a saving knowledge of the truth. This doesn't take away his sovereignty nor his electing grace. We know that. But what we are to be praying for here is that desire indeed is for the gospel message to go out and then for people from all over the world, not just Jews, not just those who are of certain bloodlines, but indeed all kinds of people will come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And this is what Paul is praying for. And it's not for us to determine who we think should hear or who we think shouldn't or who's deserving or who's not or who's going to listen ultimately and believe and who's not. Our desire is simply that the gospel message go out and God does his work through our faithfulness. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is is, 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 is commanding Timothy and the church of Ephesus to be busy with. They may be eager that Christ's name might continue to be preached uh, not just to Ephesus, but to the whole world. And so don't let those, those false befuddle the church with stories and genealogies and so forth. Idle talk disputes. But let them and let us pray for all people. That everyone might get to know the real truth of the gospel. Not just those who are like us. Not just our friends or our inner circles. But let us remember that the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, also to the thief, also to the drunkard, to the idolaters, adult, the adulterer, to the homosexual, to the prostitute, to the prince and to the pauper. In verse 5 and 6, for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given At the proper time. There's one mediator. Jesus Christ. And so let us pray. We'll pray for our governments. We'll pray for our country. We'll pray for those in high positions. We'll pray concerning the the grief and the sadness and the mess in this world. And the the, the wars, uh, the assassinations, the, the lawlessness. We'll pray all these things and we'll pray these things so that indeed the context might be there where we and where other Christians throughout the world may be blessed with the opportunity to speak of that gospel message. Because it's not just us and it's not just for us to look at ourselves and say, but me, I'm the chief of sinners, but praise God has forgiven me. And then go off and do our thing. But the concern and the joy that we have in being forgiven in Christ is indeed that which causes us to be eager that all others may receive the same grace which has been given to us. And let us in this way pray. And so in this way that God's kingdom might come with haste, that Satan's dark domain be laid to waste, that we be ruled by God's word, and that we and the world might acknowledge him as Lord. Amen. Well, let's sing about that.